As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Max and Sam on the Until Saturday podcast feed. I am your host, Sam Kahn, college football writer at The Athletic, joined as always by my great friend Max Olson. Max, what is up? Has anything happened in the last 48 hours that we should talk about? Oh, how are you doing, man? How how was your Sunday? <laughs> I'm surviving. It's uh my Sunday was pretty busy. I think my Sunday went about 16 hours. Uh it was uh That sounds about fr- right. Fr- and and that that's working. That's not 16 hours awake. That's 16 hours working. Well, I was I was probably working every minute. I was awake like, other than eating and you know, driving to you, and from you got college to see a lot Texas. of College Station this weekend on your two. Trips. I did see, yeah, I got to go to and from College Station twice in the span of twenty six hours. It was uh, oh, love it. It was a lot. A lot. I, I I did I did let some people know uh, that were there. I was like, how come y'all? How come y'all didn't just tell me on Saturday night? Hey, maybe stay Sam, get a tonight. Hotel room. Don't 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 go home. Yeah, I, I would have appreciated that, but yeah. Just a little wink, so wink, nudge, nudge, stay in town. Yeah. That would have been that would have been good. You know, it's yeah. funny we um we talked a lot about the Jimbo Fisher issue on this on our show on Max and Sam. We've we've touched on it quite a bit over the course of the season. So I think people kind of understood leading up to this, kind of where our our heads were at. But honestly, Sam, when when I saw you were covering the A and M Mississippi State game on Saturday night, then on <laughs> Sunday morning I was like, wait, did Sam know? Like, why was he there that's amazing <laughs> yeah i did not know I, I i was going just in case and was just doing the temperature check and uh just just making seeing people sure, seeing, trying to check mm, in yep sure getting some gossip you know get 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 a vibe vibe check and see how it was going and uh if you would have told vibes me were on, so saturday good night, on saturday night which is incredible <laughs> you know they, they looked really good i the the if you'd have told me on saturday night they were gonna uh, fire Jimbo Fisher on Sunday morning. I would have, I would have taken that bet because yeah. I, I, I did not think it would have, it would happen. So I, I thought they would wait of, till the end of the season. Reminded me of remember, um, Orgeron beat Florida and then got fired the next morning. Like yes. it's, it's weird. It's always weird when it's like, well, this is done. Yeah, but we got a game. Oh, we won the game. Doesn't matter. That's just always yeah. kind of a weird thing in this sport. Big, biggest win. I mean, the biggest. Largest margin of victory over a Power Five team of the season, by the way. So it is wild, crazy how that happens. But the the coaching carousel is spinning. So to that effect, we will bring on Bruce Feldman from the Athletic. Of course, you also know him from 
Fox Big Noon kickoff. He, he will talk coaching carousel with us. So that'll be a lot of fun. And we'll we'll spend some more time talking about this job, the Texas A&M job. And uh, we'll have some fun. Max and I will have a little fun with it and do a fantasy draft and pick each pick three coaches who we think could elevate the Aggies in their current situation. But first, we're going to talk Big 12. We're going to go into our roots a little bit. Of course, be sure to follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review. Leave a question with your review, and we'll enter on the show. Subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. Of course, be sure to join us every Tuesday night, Thursday, Saturday night, and Sunday on the live shows, the Sound Off on Sunday, the Saturday Night Reaction, the Tuesday College Playoff Football Rankings Reaction, and the Thursday Pick Show. It's it's all a lot of fun. Uh, join that Sound Off. Participate in it by calling 316-462-9852. 316-462-9852. So you can yell at Ari about his takes because I've been hearing some heated, heated voicemails coming from fans who are very upset that Ari is a Group A stan for Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia, we gotta so make a, we, we gotta make a get make a T shirt for the Group A's out there, you know. I know, I know. I we uh, I, I'm thinking we should uh, we should do a Group B, uh, we should do a Group A Group B like believe we could in do a Group, group B, B pod kind of T shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, we could have a Group B podcast. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, and, and just ye- yell at Ari the whole time. Uh, of course, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter. Get your daily fill of college football news right in your inbox. Uh, on Monday, Jada Bardal and Manny Navarro did a comprehensive breakdown of Jimbo Fisher's departure. There's plenty of that coming out on The Athletic, so make sure you get signed up for that. The description and link, the link to that is in the description to the podcast. So, Max, we have all this coaching carousel. We have all this stuff going on, but there is still football to be played. We've got two weeks left in the season, and... Let's talk Big 12. Shout out One True Pod. It's, uh, it is, we are still trying to determine one true champion in mm-hmm. the Big 12, and it's going to be in a different form than it ever was because for the longest time, we had a round robin schedule because we had 10 teams and everybody had to play each other. So you get to know who's going to the Big 12 title game, and there was never really any question about it. Well, for this one season, this team, this conference has 14 teams in it. So, not everybody plays everybody, so we're going to have a little bit of a mess. So, Max, why don't you take us a little bit through the situation we have here where we have the Longhorns, of course, leading the conference to 6-1, and one, and then after that, it becomes a large jumbled mess to figure out who's going to play in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, I think a week from now, I, I may look like uh, Charlie Kelly in the mailroom pointing to Pepe Sylvia and all the stuff <laughs> up on the walls behind me. Maybe I need to get like the... The big board behind me on on the on the pod here uh, for the those that'd be a good backdrop <laughs> of um, trying to to connect the dots on who's playing who. Um, I I I think that look if Texas te- Texas is in an interesting spot this week. Texas has to go to Ames, seven p.m. local kickoff night game. Probably cold. I haven't checked yet. Uh, Texas is without Jonathan Brooks, who's who's uh, unfortunately suffered a torn ACL against uh, TCU after the rest of the season. So Texas is on a little bit of an upset alert situation as it tries to, you know, uh, chase not only a Big 12 title, but a spot in the college football playoff. Texas is the only one last team left in the Big 12, Sam. And so I think that this this race will be relevant to people if Texas is still a playoff contender here, if they can win out here and, and get to the Big 12 title game. But I think it's going to be 
even more comical if Texas loses this weekend, because that would set up a absolutely ridiculous tie in the Big 12, uh, the likes of which we've never seen. And I know you're probably thinking, well, wait, wasn't the TCU Baylor tie a pretty big deal back in the day, back in 14? It sure was. This is probably the closest we've come to that kind of chaos, um, possibly in the Big 12. And uh, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole and people just turn this off, but let's just explain where we're at today, okay? This is going to take me about an hour, so just bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) So Texas is 6-1 and with a loss to Oklahoma. They control their fate. They control their fate. They're not the only team that controls their fate. We have Oklahoma State is at 5-2 and two in Big 12 play with losses to Iowa State and UCF. They just got slaughtered in, in Orlando over the weekend. Oklahoma is 5-2 and two with losses to Kansas and Oklahoma State. Iowa State is 5-2 and two with losses to Oklahoma and Kansas. And Kansas State is 5-2 and two with losses to Oklahoma State and Texas. So that's four teams tied at 5-2. and two. We've also got three teams tied at 4-3, four and, four and three, West Virginia, <laughs> Texas Tech, and Kansas. Okay? Now, you would think. Now let's let's just let's just walk through the scenario as if Texas wins out, and we're trying to figure out who the second team is in the Big Twelve because that's less complicated to to figure out. If it's just about who's in second place in the Big Twelve, we've got a four team tie right now. Okay, mm-hmm. if there's a three team tie or worse, you, you'd say obviously, you know, this should come down to who played who, who won heads up, who who won these head to head matchups, right? But in the revised Big 12 policy for tiebreakers for a 14-team league, as you said, we don't, we don't have round-robin schedules anymore. Head-to-head applies only if every tied team has played each other. Now, uh. this, year, this year, we did not get Oklahoma against Kansas State. We did not get Oklahoma State against Texas. But mm-hmm. also possibly important, Texas Tech did not play, does does not play Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, or Iowa State. And West Virginia does not play Texas, K-State, Iowa State, or Kansas. So, <laughs> this is, you know, you, you might say, so well, you look, can't do, West so Virginia you can't do the, mini, the mini division comparison, basically. Correct. Because it's and, when you do that where you say you all played the same opponents and you, you break it that way. So, you can't do sure, that in sure. this instance because they haven't all played the same opponents. That's right. And so and now you might say, well, look, Texas Tech and West Virginia, they're not going to win the Big 12. What, what, what does that matter? OK, let me explain. Using today's standings, we've got Iowa State, K-State, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are tied in second place at five and two. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma and, o- and Kansas State did not play each other. Therefore, you have to go to, according to the, the tiebreaker policy, you have to go to their record against, quote, the next highest placed common opponent. And the only four and three team that has played all four of them or, or will play all four of them, I should say, is Kansas. So wow. if, if the season ended today, it would be decided by who had the better <laughs> record against Kansas. OK, <laughs> Kansas is the common opponent. They beat Oklahoma. They beat Iowa State. They lost to Oklahoma State. They're playing Kansas State this weekend. Right. So let's say, you know, Ed, you, you would say Edge goes to Oklahoma State right now. And also Oklahoma State has a head to head win over K-State. However, we're also in a situation where Iowa State actually controls its destiny because it still has to play Texas and Kansas State. That's correct. So if they win out, they're in. Iowa State's State's in. And that would be unbelievable. (laughs) That would be unbelievable given that they were left for dead by everybody back in August when they had all those players 
removed from their team for the gambling um, suspensions and, and, and legal issues. And they started one and two with losses to Iowa and Ohio, Iowa mm-hmm. state. They're getting there. They're, this is a, the exact spot they would want this week to have Texas coming out here, uh, coming out to the Midwest for a uh, mid November game at night. If Texas were to lose that game, we got, we got madness, baby. Uh, yeah. And we I know that that wouldn't madness. be as relevant to people because the big 12 doesn't have a playoff team then, but, uh, we are in a situation here where it is very wide open uh, as to who who's playing in this conference title game. No matter who you think the best teams are, uh, I think we're very safe to say it's going to get pretty wacky here. Yeah, so a couple things on this. One, for those, this is very much if you know, you know. This race gives me 1994 Southwest Conference vibes, which Ooh, ended in a five-way tie. And actually, Texas A&M, I believe, finished that season undefeated, but they could not be the conference championship because they were currently on probation at that time in 1994. So you end up having a five-way tie with five teams at four and three. And uh, so this, what we are looking at in the Big 12 reminds me a little bit of that. It also happens to be the last time that uh, Rice ended up winning, well, not winning a conference championship. That was, they were part of that. They were one of those five teams. So they have a technically have a Southwest Conference title because of that. So <laughs> that's a fun fact for those of you uh, Southwest Conference fans like myself. But number two, the, the this is the most Big 12 season ever because we have two teams right now, Oklahoma State and Iowa State, who were in this race, who two months ago, Iowa State, as you mentioned, lost to Ohio. They lost 10-7 to to Ohio. Oklahoma State lost 33-7 to South Alabama. They got hammered. And here we are sitting on November 14th, and we're talking about them being in the Big 12 championship game race. It is amazing to me what this conference has been, and I'm going to miss the conference with Texas and Oklahoma in it because that obviously having those big dogs it gives it a certain flavor. And it's still going to be chaos when they're gone. But having them in it and Texas right now sitting above everybody in this race, it, it it just makes it a little bit more compelling. And so that's what puts so much focus on the game that you're going to be at, Texas and Iowa State, mm-hmm. where, like you said, two months ago, we would have thought, oh, well, Texas is going to go in there and hammer them. And yet here we are. Iowa State wins two games and they're in. Texas with an injured running back and playing with fire late in games the last several weeks against Houston, against Kansas State, against TCU. This is going to be a compelling game, and I and I want to start with there is Wait, uh, what do you just think say about real, this weekend? Yeah, let me just say real quick. This is this is just this is what the listeners should be rooting for here. Okay, uh, if you're a fan of one of these teams, no offense, Sam. The way with two weeks left in conference play, it is not impossible that seven Big Twelve teams could end up tied at six and three. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's yes. do it. Come on. Let's do I it. Why, love it. Why wouldn't we finish the last year of Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve with just an absolute catastrophe at the top? That would be that, incredible. That would be that that would give us some ACC coastal vibes, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that would that I, would I'm be just saying, I, I'm not it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Um so yeah, Texas, Iowa State. Um, I'm really excited to see this game. I think that I'm curious what you thought of Texas's game against TCU. I don't think that Texas. I th- I thought as as we've probably said before on this show that Texas looked really good in the first half of that game. Um, and then that game still ended up being pretty close in the second half. Um, I 
saw really good things from Quinn Ewers, and, and certainly it seemed like this was kind of one of those games where they really leaned into, we've got Xavier Worthy, we've got A.D. Mitchell, you don't. And uh, that is that is the advantage uh, in, in the Texas probably needs to embrace here without Jonathan Brooks. Um, Iowa State is just pretty sneaky. They, they put, put together one of their best games of the season, maybe their best game of the season, um, in Provo, late night game in BYU, absolutely dominated that game. They've got um, a you know top top twenty five defense in terms of uh, a stop rate again this year under John Haycock. They have got they're starting to figure things out offensively. It's been a bumpy year, obviously, um, in, in making the transition to Nate Shieldhouse, but it's finally looking a little bit better. I I think that that I don't think that people are going like it's 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 definitely a trap. It's definitely mm-hmm. a trap game. I think we can agree on that. And I think the absence of, look, Texas has got a lot of blue chip guys to step up, but I think the absence of Jonathan Brooks, don't you think, is 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 going to make a significant difference just in their offensive operation? Yeah, it is because he's a downhill runner and he's been so good for them, not just in you know between the tackles, but he breaks tackles and he makes he makes explosive run plays for them and and he can help cover up a lot of things. Uh, C.J. Baxter is terrific. But he is a true freshman. So how much of a load can he carry? How much does Jaden Blue get involved here? How much does Savion Red get involved here? Uh, this is going to be a challenge for Sark. Uh, and, and and this is obviously a team that they've had trouble with even last year. They 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 had to squeak by Iowa State last year late in that game and get a turnover to seal that win by three uh, in Austin. So uh, this is obviously a better Texas team than we've seen. Uh, you know, in the past couple times they've played Iowa State, but it's a tricky spot for them. And so I, I still I think the, their best strategy is what they did early against TCU, which, like you said, just lean into the the advantages you have with the athletes and speed you have on the perimeter. So that that to me is the is their best bet. Now that said, so we've got Texas, who we I think we think at this point is the favorite. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. By, by the way, I, I just played with it. There's a there's a calculator I'll tweet out. Uh, there's a Big 12 mm-hmm. standings calculator you can do where you pick the matchups and they tell you what the tiebreaker is. Uh, mm-hmm. Bball.notnothing.net. I, I just redid this, Sam. There is a way in which eight teams are tied at six and three. <laughs> eight teams tied at six and three. And in that, that scenario, this is saying Kansas against Texas in the Big 12 title game with Kansas wow. as the one seed. Let's wow. do it. Why not? Kansas fight Kansas fight its way back in. <laughs> um of these four teams that are tied at five and two, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, who do you feel best about right now? Who do you think is the best the, the team that either A has the best shot or B just is playing the best ball right now? It, I I think that I think that K State would be you know, we'll see how this all shakes out. I think K State might might ultimately be the second best team in the big 12. I agree hundred um, percent. And I, and that's not just me coming. Like I'm not, I'm not just coming in hot off of the way that they blew out. Um, Baylor. Baylor. I, I, yeah. they, they, they've played a few games this year where they lined up 
against a Big 12 team, and that other team had no shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, you've certainly seen there was a little there was a little kind of funky moment in the middle of the season where there was kind of this, okay, is it going to be like Avery Johnson? What are we doing here? Will Howard has really stepped up um, just as he did late last season and is really playing great ball. Um, that 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 is just an extremely uh, confident enterprise that uh, I think that they feel like at this time of year, they can they can beat anybody, and so I, I would be very interested to see if if Texas were to run the table and they run into K State at the end, like K State could definitely get over on them. That, that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, they're they're an overtime fourth down play away from having won five in a row, right? Hundred percent. So yeah, it's it's a really good team. Before we before we move on and bring Bruce, is that, in, was that who you would take? Do you think it's Oklahoma yes. is still sneaking up here? Or no, Oklahoma State. A K State is the one I trust. They're the reigning champs and. They are playing at a high level, uh, and, yep. and I do think I do think they're they're the best of this four. Uh, but before we bring Bruce in, let's let's talk about Oklahoma and, and Texas and likelihood. We thought at some point this season that it was going to be a rematch between these two. Certainly after Red River, I thought we were going to see them again. What what do you think about where Oklahoma sits and and kind of what their chances are of actually coming back out of this and getting back into this thing to play Texas in two weeks? Yeah, I mean, I thought that that was the Oklahoma performance against West Virginia. Um, again, like one of the most like dominant, impressive performances we've seen in, in this Big 12 schedule, for sure. Um, I thought West Virginia was just totally outclassed in that game and just had really had not not a great chance of even catching up. Dylan Gabriel, one of the best games of his career, eight total touchdowns. Um, it, you know, certainly one that was a big, a big reversal to the narrative coming out of uh, out of Bedlam there a little bit. Um, I think Oklahoma is, is still really dangerous and, you know, the next two, you know, you're going to Provo and then you play TCU definitely winnable. So Oklahoma is, is not, I know everyone kind of moves on a little bit once you've got your second loss and you're out of the playoff talk, but, but Oklahoma is, is, uh, there's, they're, they're still in really good shape here. And, uh, whether that leads to a victory or not, I think it's, it's still a hugely improved team from a year ago. Cincinnati and Baylor to finish out the season. That's pretty uh, oh no! I'm sorry. That's West Virginia that's got them. Yeah. So since so West Virginia's got Cincinnati and Baylor, so they they could end up if they play their cards right, could end up eight and four, which would be a really good year for them, even though they That'd just got huge. smacked. Yeah. Uh, by by Oklahoma, but uh, the Sooners have BYU and TCU. Interesting. I think TCU. Obviously, we've seen them kind of be competitive, and BYU kind of up and down. I haven't really been able to get a good gauge on them because there's some weeks they've been been interesting and some weeks they've just gotten hammered so uh it'll be interesting to see the Sooners I think still very much in the thick of this Oklahoma State controlled its own fate and then they had the poop game against UCF so it's uh (laughs) it's uh it's uh it's it's interesting interesting here's here's what here's what our listener if you're pulling for eight teams tied at six and three because why wouldn't you then this week (laughs) you're pulling for you're, you're pulling for BYU over Oklahoma Iowa State over Texas Kansas over K State, TCU over Baylor, Texas Tech over UCF, Houston over Oklahoma State, West Virginia over Cincinnati. Let's let's go, guys. Let's 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 wow. see if we can do this. Let's get let's get nuts. <laughs> let's do it. Chaos reigns. I love it. Let's let's. We've had some chaos. We can have some chaos on the field, and yeah. we were having some chaos off the field. Let's uh, let's talk about the off the field chaos and the coaching carousel with Bruce Feldman. Bruce, how are you on this November Monday as the carousel begins to spin? I'm tired. Just like I feel like <laughs> I'm off 
Um, yeah, I mean, the Jimbo thing we were expecting at some point, and it was the biggest domino there. Now, you know, one thing that's happened in the last couple of days, the last two days, I guess, is for me, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I almost feel like Mississippi State has an easier search to navigate than Texas A&M does in spite of all its resources and history and and everything it has because they hired Jimbo. He'd won a national title at Florida State and he bombed. I mean, there's no way to look at it. You spend almost, you know, as much money as they did and then you have to, you know, drop, you know, 70 plus million dollars to get rid of him. Whereas Mississippi State, I'm not saying they want somebody to just go eight and four every year. But if you had Jimbo's numbers at, in Starkville, they'd probably build him a statue. Maybe not this past two years, but you know what I mean. Whereas they can they can go hire Jamie Chadwell or John Sumrall and be like, yeah, we got a good hire. Yeah. I don't know how that plays out in – like who is that guy for Texas A&M right now? I mean, Mike Elko, obviously really good coach, done an amazing job in a short period of time at Duke. But it is a short period of time. You know, and Lance Leipold, we all really respect and everything, but man, is he going to, how is he going to do in the SEC? I think there is a projection there. So, um, interesting times. You guys had to, you, Sam and Bruce, you guys both had to work really hard on Sunday, um, to cover the stuff. Do you ever think about what it'd be like to just not to make way more money than you currently make and not do any work? This is shot at Stu. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm talking about that buyout life. I'm talking about that oh. sweet, sweet buyout life. Uh, oh. Well, poor wow. Stu catching a stray. Wow. <laughs> on the pod. Uh, wow, I can say that I can say that I don't think I would know what to do with myself if I was just sitting around. And and maybe that's just because I've never lived that life. But I I, I don't know. You know, we obviously we have you know, we have a nice big family here, so there's plenty to keep me busy, certainly. And there would be a nice advantage to spending time, more time with that family. But yeah, I think I need to be doing something. And what's the first thing you would buy, Bruce, if you had a $77 million buyout? What's the first thing you would buy? Well, first of all, we know it's not closed because all this stuff is like, it's basically <laughs> laundry day constantly. So, and I'm not a car guy. I know less about cars than any probably adult in California. Mm-hmm. So it's not that. You already live in Manhattan Beach, you know, yeah. so that you don't need that. I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I was gonna ask you guys this off that question. Like, let's say you won a lottery or your wife won the lottery. Like, I would probably still try to do what I do. I just might not feel the pressure of some of it. Um, you know. I think I would want to be like the guy that secretly won the lottery. You know what I mean? I don't know if I want it out there that I won the lottery like Jimbo Fisher is now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's there's something to be said for that. Like I don't you know, the stuff I would want to do, like I don't want to travel the world. That's not me. I don't there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't, you know, I still would probably end up ta- trying to talk to football coaches and doing this. I really like what we get to do, you know, and it's I you know, obviously I'm a, a little older than you guys, but it's like it still feels like an adrenaline rush to be in stadium. It still feels like an adrenaline rush to to do a lot of that. So, um, you know, I think the only thing the lottery piece would do is, you know, as the business changes, I probably wouldn't sweat it and think, you know, Ooh, five years from now, what does this look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, uh, I, I think I'd write some books, but speaking of books, you could do a book on this Jimbo Fisher tenure. I'm Bruce. You were kind of all over this at the start early in the season. Uh, 
you know, reporting that that A&M would find the money to do it if they had to. Um, what what gives you the sense of why this kind of all came to a head when it did? Sam, it, it, it's year six. I mean, I had people go, it's year six. He's going to go eight and four, seven and five. Why, why would you be convinced we're going to get a different result now? You know, if he had one really good year and it was in a pandemic year where was, everything was kind of screwy to begin with. After that, he was, you know, he, he was basically like a, like Kevin Sumlin, except, you know, not, not quite as successful and getting paid a lot more. And so, well, and they, I, I mean, they beat Bama, they beat Bama in 21 and they just didn't capitalize on, on that. You know, that, that would be another one of those moments where you're like, oh man, it's going to happen here. And they just never really put it together from that point forward. Yeah. I think that the reasons why he fizzled out were, were different than why Sumlin fizzled out. And we've all spent a bunch of time around college station and Sam, you spent a ton of time around someone previous to that too. I think the reasons are different why they both fizzled out. Um, the part that I think is kind of like it's kind of mind-boggling is they haven't won a, a road game in over two years. This is not Vanderbilt we're talking about. You're Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they did they or did they not sign what was considered to be the highest ranked recruiting class in recruiting history? You yes. can't do that. And like you know, I had this little like UNLV has been a curiosity to me this year. Barry Odom's first year, like Brendan Marion. Guy, you guys, you know, know all about too. The offense coordinator, Brendan Marion, gets that job as the OC at UNLV because Jim Jimbo uh, because Jimbo Fisher hired Bobby Petrino away. Right, right. So, and it wasn't like Petrino was a complete disaster, but it wasn't much better. Now you can say, oh, well, his starting quarterback got hurt. Well, he got in Max Johnson, who was probably one of the most experienced quarterbacks you could have gotten. He had been the starter at obviously at LSU. And the guy at UNLV, again, different Mountain West compared to SEC, but it's also what you have to work with is different. And like, I just feel like almost every staffing move they could have made feel like it backfired. And it was like quicksand. The more they turned, and I'm sure you know, there's a lot of stuff here that undermined him. Um, but it was this kind of – it was just kind of a slow-moving train wreck you couldn't look away from. I mean, you got – just a weird mix of characters, whether it's Steve Adazio, even the fact that like they they fire him and the guy they make the interim was not one of the former head coaches. And it's, mm-hmm. look, Elijah Robinson's probably the one of the more probably one of the most well respected guys who's on that staff. You know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of all the way around. I'm curious when you look at the candidates, you you had put a list out on the Athletic on Sunday of, of candidates. Who among the group that A and M could pursue stands out to you as as somebody A that makes sense and B you think is is gettable for A and M? Um, Elko is interesting to me because he is a guy who obviously spent a decent amount of time there under Jimbo. What he's done at Duke has been really impressive. But it is a short shelf life. I mean, it's it's less than two full seasons. I mean, Lance Leipold has impressed all of us what he keeps doing. Uh, I don't know how – again, I don't know. He interviewed for the Vandy job when Clark Lee got it, whatever it was, three years ago. And I know they really liked him. But but Clark Lee was was a you know local guy and you know kind of an up-and-coming guy, whereas – I don't think Lance Leipold's age should be held against him at this point. You know, he's 59. He doesn't look like he's, you know, I hate to use this ex- example, but like when Phil Fulmer was a certain age, he looked way older than that. 
Whereas I think some of these guys, even Willie Fritz, they don't look what they are. Right. And um, so I think, you know, if Lance Leipold wanted to leave, I always thought like, okay, Michigan State's an option or whatever. You got Chris Chris Kleiman, similar in terms of like one at lower divisions. It's done a really good job. I think people forget that he was the one who actually won the Big 12 last year, not TCU. So those guys to me are the most okay, you know, like, because I, I don't. Like program like, builder types. Program builder yeah. types, yeah. The, the two yeah. guys, or even I want to say Jonathan Smith, the three guys from the Pacific Northwest who are all going to be hot names, I don't know if this is going to be the move they make, right? And Lanning, Kalen DeBoer, and Jonathan Smith. To me, the 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 one, if you're on like Billy Lucci's site, you're like, ooh, if we could get this guy, that guy would have been Dan Campbell, but the timing is so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a team. Because that, he's a good coach. Yeah. He's a really good <laughs> yeah. coach. And, he's yeah. and their like, season goes through January, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to wait that long. <laughs> and also, all the awesome stuff that you see from him in front of like a locker room or team or all the stuff you saw on hard knocks, you're like, Oh my God, this guy, like I can see why people, you know, he gets to want to run through a brick wall for him. Right. And so <laughs> I what, know, and what, and what division would you rather coach in? Right. I mean, the one he's, he's in now or, or some of these, you know, the way the sec's heading, you know, yeah, he's I in know. a good spot now. If they said to him, Hey, we're going to give you a billion dollars. like he's gonna make plenty of money in in detroit you know ride this thing as far as they can ride it so yeah um, but i don't know i i think you're i could be wrong but i think you're you're looking at elko maybe lance and to me that's that's kind of where the search feels like it's gonna gonna hover elko seems like the one that kind of is logically like okay i can keep some of the staff together. I can hold this roster together. I imagine that's a big piece of, of the challenge here. If you're Ross Bjork, knowing that these next two weeks, you got to come up with an answer that people in that building are going to be happy about, right. In, in to some degree with the players, um, because this is a, uh, a very talented team that, uh, you know, gives, it makes the job appealing to somebody. If this group is kind of sticking together, right. In terms of the, the, the talent on the roster. I, I definitely understand why if you if you're the premise that you start the search with of like, hey, money's not an object, it's AM, they're gonna, you know, swing for the fences just like LSU and USC and some of these schools have in recent years. Do you think it's gonna be tough though for Lanning, DeBoer, for some of these guys, you know, Norvell's been on these lists that are legitimately coaching potential playoff teams? Like I, I have to think the December fourth piece of this is gonna be tough for those guys to to bail on what they've got and take over AM. Yeah, especially when they're in really good situations. You know, the the closest I can think of of somebody who bailed on like a potential playoff team or one that still had was was the Brian Kelly situation with Notre Dame. It wasn't yeah. this cut and dry. Um, but I I don't think either any of one of those three guys ultimately, and I could totally be wrong on this part of it, but ends up being the guy at AM because of the timing. You know, Mike Norvell is born in Texas, but he is done such a good job kind of cleaning up after what started to decay under Jimbo and Tallahassee. I mean, if you're him, yes, they have more resources than they do, but Florida state, you know, you people have won national titles there. You know, you've got a big recruiting base, really good recruiting base. You've done a lot of the heavy lifting. I don't know what happens with the ACC. My, yeah, might turn into an SEC job down the road. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Like, I feel like if I'm Mike Norvell, 
as long as I really like the leadership above me, um, I don't know why I would like, there's something about Texas A&M and I know Sam, you did a good story on this maybe a month ago, or maybe it was two months ago about just kind of why it keeps going wrong there. And, you know, it just, it's not to say anybody can't win a national title there if it's the right coach, but there is something there. It's kind of like a disconnect. I think the biggest thing is the lack of administrative alignment and stability. Uh, Ross Bjork said it on Sunday. He said, I'm in my fourth year here and I'm on my fourth president. That's a problem. And it creates a power vacuum that is filled by people who are not, who are not necessarily always going to be pulling in the same direction. And so I, th- I think that's been a big part of it. And the other part I think AM hasn't been able to win big is just because they're relatively new on this scene in terms of talent and money. Like they've had money for a long time, but the real big money didn't start coming until they got into the SEC and Johnny had that run with Kevin Sumlin. It, that's when it really started to to become flush with cash and started ranking in the top, you know, five nationally in budget. So the money's fairly new, and now the talent is at a top five level for the first time in really ever that I can remember. So now those things are there. So I think I think in some ways they kind of were what they were, but now they've elevated their lot in life a little bit. But they the wins still haven't come and. Obviously, Jimbo ends up being the, the uh, scapegoat for that, and rightfully so because it, you know it's it's his program. He was given the keys to the kingdom; it didn't get it done. But I, I do think, like to what you said, is if you can keep this thing together, it re- at least from a roster standpoint, every other resource is there now. With their the current president, they have is an interim. So, what does that mean for the future of whoever's here? And but the chancellor who who's making a lot of these calls, John Sharp, has been there a long time and will be there. So. All that is is really interesting, and I wonder how much some of these candidates are going to be willing to step into that. But versus weigh in the I, the ability to turnkey this thing into a title contender. Well, so much of it seems like it's like, hey, money will be the answer to this, and oftentimes it's not. Like the more we've talked about this, and Max said something like a few minutes ago about just because Elko had been there, because of keep things together, we're in the portal era. I feel like in a lot of ways, and this is not a fair thing to say about Jimbo, but I feel like in a lot of ways, Oakham feels like he might be a little the opposite of that. And that might be a good thing in terms of where you have somebody who kind of understands. I feel like to be a defensive guy, you have to be a problem solver anyway. Um, And he's clearly that we know he's Ivy league educated. We know he did really well at a lot of places. Um, I don't know. Like the, I've almost in the last, like probably, two weeks kind of talked myself into thinking, you know, Mike Elko might be the best thing they could do there. But cause you know, your offense, I mean, like, you know, obviously you got Riley Leonard going, they, they, you know, he turned out to be a, a very good quarterback for them. Um, you know, they had the big win over Clemson. who was obviously not that great this year, but again, it's Duke. And, you know, there's a name that we didn't talk about that. I know you guys have talked about and it's Jeff trailer. And, um, he obviously has great, great respect and he's beloved in the state from, you know, certainly from his time as a high school coach. Um, I would not get hung up in, oh, he's, you know, he's a group of five coach, you know, like they're going to have to do something a little different this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, like I think they're going to find their RC Slocum. 
Well, I was going to say, it's, I, I feel like that's kind of a Joey McGuire situation a little bit of like, if they give Jeff Trailer an interview, I think they're going to have a hard time not giving him the job. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's going to be <laughs> interesting to see. Yeah. And he's, on, you know, not a knock on Joey McGuire, but he's like, Jeff Trailer's actually done really well as a group of five head Extremely coaches. Extremely well. Yep. You know, Joey McGuire hadn't been a college head coach. So it's like. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a reach. That was a that was a gamble. Jeff Trailer's not much of a gamble if you're A and M. If you can, if you can move past the the you know in state G five thing, which Texas has done it before. I mean, I, I I don't think I don't think that should be a hang up personally. But you know, <laughs> it, you know at the same time, you have these ads think too, Bruce. They they kind of want their big, uh, um, you know, the, 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 they always look at these as this is this is my chance to make a big splash and impress everybody. Yeah, I wonder, you know, how many times that, look, there's, a, um, before us, you know, it was like, um, I want to say it was Todd Dodge, where it was like, hey, take the high school guy who had a lot of success, and then it, it you know, it didn't work out, and that was on a much smaller level. Yeah. yeah, yeah, another example of that. I mean, there's examples of both things, whereas I feel like if you take the guy, and let's, let's, let's look at, at, um, let's look at, at, a trailer through this prism. He's the group of five guy who's worked his way up and had a lot of success there. Similar in this regard to what we've seen from Leipold, what we've seen from some other guys, Chris Kleiman, guys who jumped up divisions and they knew what it takes to win. I mean, that in itself, I think, carries as opposed to, hey, we're going to make a big projection and try to, you know, win the press conference here. Bruce, uh, before we touch on some of these other vacancies, I want to ask you, you, you were at, you were on the road over the weekend. You were in state college, uh, where the eyes of America were on America's team, Michigan, obviously. Um, I'm curious, what did you take away from the change that, uh, James Franklin is making with his offensive coordinator moving on from Mike Yersich once again, looking for an OC, um, and just the, the situation there with the Penn State offense, you got to watch them live against Ohio State, against Michigan. You got to see kind of those problems firsthand. Yeah, I, I can't say I'm surprised at all that that he had to make a change. You know, you were, I think, at that at the game in Columbus, Max. Mm-hmm. It was just like everything we've heard from people I, I trust around State College who've seen Drew Aller, they think he's really talented. And the the takeaway I had from that game a month ago was that everything looked like it was hard for them. You know, the receivers weren't getting separation. They have really good running backs. They're not that big. You know, Olu's a you know, left tackle is a, is a big athletic guy, but they're not, you know, the rest of the O-line and interior is not like, it's not like it's Michigan's line inside, but they should be better. I mean, there's no, there's no way around it, you know? And so back to back top 10 opponents and they just, laid an egg they did nothing and i don't know how you look at it and go okay like it's like those games were close but you never felt like they were about to hit a play to go take a lead no, you didn't and and it's like something was like some i don't know if they try to do too much and they're not good at anything i don't know you know that's part of the knock i've heard behind the scenes is it's like you have a really bright guy but sometimes they they're trying to do too much and they never really get good at anything particular. Um, you know, when, when Joe Moorhead was there, they were a problem for opposing teams. And I felt like they played fast and aggressive. You know, they had Trace McStore, there's a trigger man, obviously they had Saquon too, but this team has a lot of talent. I don't, I don't 
get why it's why they've struggled so much. I mean, remember they had their hands full and some of this was like, you know, a couple of weeks before that, you know, Indiana gave them a game more than that. And so, you know, they could be 10 and two and it could be the most disappointing thing because they just didn't get it done on offense. You have a lot of really twitchy guys on defense and they gave, you know, Michigan basically looked at it in the first quarter and was like, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to let JJ get hurt against these guys. We're just going to lean on our offensive line because we're not worried about their offense. They're not going to score against us. We're just going to pound the ball. And even against like what the number one rush defense in the country, they ran it like 30 times in a row because I think they were, they knew Penn state had some really nasty edge rushers who could give them problems. So why are we going to risk it? Because we're not scared of their offense. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty, pretty damning statement when you, and the, the play call and tells you, tells you everything you need to know about it. Um, let's get into some of these, this next opening, you touched on it early. Uh, Bruce, uh, Zach Arnett, uh, Mississippi State on Monday, got news that that he is out. I was at that game on Saturday watching Texas A&M blow them out, and Mississippi State was not good. What What's your sense on what direction this could go and just how attractive this job is being in the middle of the SEC West? I think it's a pretty attractive mid-level slash lower-level Power 5 job. Um, when you look at it to me, I think they have some, some good candidates. Now I've heard Lance Leipold's name could be in the search. I would be surprised if Lance Leipold would leave Kansas for this job to me that to me, especially a guy, it's not like he has any ties there. I mean, he's from Wisconsin. It doesn't, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense. Um, I'd mentioned Jamie Chadwell before having talked to some coaches who've been at Mississippi state. One of the things they stressed to me was you really need to be different at Mississippi state. If you try to be like everybody else, you're going to be like eighth in that. And Jamie Chadwell, as you guys both know, it's a really creative offensive mind. He killed it at, at um, coastal Carolina. He's nine and zero at Liberty. Ten and from- oh, 10 and zero. I'm sorry. You're right. He is. It's been a lost weekend for me. You're right. So- <laughs> yes, me too. Me too, buddy. <laughs> I get that. And I get that. Yeah. That's why you're here, Max. You keep us on, on, on notice of things. So, but Tenendo at Liberty is, you can say, yeah, Hugh Freeze set it up great, but Tenendo at Liberty is still, you know, extremely impressive moving into a new league. Yeah. I mean, then there's like a couple other guys I could see, you know, next state over. You have Tulane and Willie Fritz keeps winning, right? They beat USC in the bowl game last year. I think they went, you know, finished in the top 10. And now this year they keep rolling. Um, John Sumrall at Troy, I, he's to me, one of the hottest guys in group of five done an amazing job at Troy. I think he's really good. You know, he's coached in the sec at, at a couple of places as really good assistant at Kentucky and, and also at, at old miss to me, those are the guys that I would say, all right, this feels about right. Um, the, you know, I don't know if Dan Mullen has any interest in going back. He, everything I heard, he seems like he's really comfortable with ESPN and TV. Um, and I don't know, do you want to go, do you want to get back into the grind that bad? Because I don't know, that's stu- <laughs> that TV yeah. studio life can be pretty cushy. Yeah. Mac going yeah, back like he did. That's kind of the outlier. There's not really many, that many guys that, that choose to go back in like that. No, I can you know, that's true. Especially now he's young enough. He's I think 51 or 52 where he could make that pivot. I just like, do you really want to go back? You know what Mississippi state is. It is a hard, like, it's a hard job. Now, Mac obviously went back to North Carolina where he'd been, 
Um, I feel like North Carolina, as much as basketball school it is, you have a better chance to to have a shot at being a playoff team than you do at Mississippi State. Agreed. Um, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. It's hard to hard to get a read on what Dan Mullen might do on this thing, though. Interesting, Bruce. Let's let's do a little hot seat temperature check here. Uh, two weeks left in the regular season. Obviously, I think we all kind of get this vibe that the A and M thing has kind of broken the seal now after weeks and weeks of of no changes. We also saw um, Brady Hoke announce on Monday morning he's going to be stepping down to retire from from San Diego State. I'm curious as w- which jobs you're kind of paying attention to here. Let's start with uh, Arkansas and Sam Pittman. What's your sense of what's going on there? You know, I feel like he was a pretty good turned out to be a pretty good hire. Um, he didn't bomb there, but now it seems like. You know, obviously, when you make an offensive coordinator change in midseason, that's a that's a sign that you're kind of reeling and they're they're leaning on you a little bit. Um, everything I'd heard, I was um, we were in Austin two weeks ago, and there was a decent amount of buzz that it was like, "Ooh, they may be ready to to make a move at some point this year." Um, just feeling like, you know what, Oklahoma and Texas are coming in. We gotta up our game. So I would not be surprised if there was a change there at the end of the year or even maybe sooner than that. Yeah, one one that I want to touch on real quick. Uh, this is one that I've been super interested in because I don't get the sense that they want to make a move, but the, the performance on field has gotten so bad that I wonder if it's just going to happen is Baylor and Dave Aranda that they just got pounded by Kansas State this weekend. What's your sense and vibe about where Baylor sits in, in this whole equation and whether or not Aranda could be back next year or, or or if this could be the end? Yeah, same feeling that you have, Sam. I don't think they want to make a change with Dave Aranda at all. I think they know he's won before. Now he won with largely Matt Rule's guys. And I feel like everything I've heard, um, both inside and outside the program, is that the talent level has really dropped there. And that's a problem. That's a concern. Everything I've heard up till this weekend was that like they probably are going to have to make some big offensive changes on staff again, which obviously they had to do that year one Mm -hmm. um, when Fedora was there. I don't know if that's going to be good enough after that. You know, I, I know, I know they don't want to do that. I'm not sure. You know, that's a place that got used to being successful in a hurry. And I could see them saying, you know what, this is going in the wrong direction. We're going to make a big move. And, you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised either way at this point. I'll ask you guys since you're you, you both be the experts on this one. What do we think of Houston? Obviously, you knew it was going to be a little bit of a bumpy year um, transitioning into the Big Twelve this year. Dana Holgerson's done that before at West Virginia, um, but what you know, wasn't expecting eight nine wins or anything like that. But how how concerning is the performance uh, this year? And is, is there optimism that that he's the guy to turn it i mean sam yeah. you were the one who had that quote from dana <laughs> i will pull up the quote <laughs> uh that he's got an impossible buyout and i'm removing the colorful language from that uh he's won 20 games in two years uh and the there ain't no effing hot seat there just ain't uh yeah we we had uh that was an interesting experience but i'll say this that loss to Cincinnati on Saturday night was not good. That they went in to this two-week stretch against Baylor and Cincinnati really needing, in my opinion, to win both of those games to restore a little bit of faith and get them in, in shot of a bowl game. Cause they would be, had they won, they'd be five and five. And then 
you have a shot at splitting the last two maybe and going six and six, getting a bowl game. In a bowl game in year one of the Big 12, you consider how the newcomers have fared, not too bad. But I think Dana has lost a lot of support from the fan base, not just because of the on-field performance, which hasn't been good this year, but also just because sometimes he says things that just don't play well. Like on Saturday after they lost to Cincinnati, he said, that's life in the Big 12. Well, that's technically not a Big 12 team. You lost. It's not a legacy Big 12 team you lost to. It's a team that was in your own conference a year ago. And he made a comment about recruiting a couple of weeks ago about how the ship has sailed on the 2024 class uh, and that they're going to be turned into the portal and, and junior colleges heavily. And just I think he stepped in it so many times that I think it's really made his seat a little warmer than it would if we were just judging on the on-field performance. That said, the on-field performance has been pretty bad. The loss to Rice was a killer. The loss to Cincinnati was a killer. And uh, and and they they needed a Hail Mary to beat West Virginia after giving up a 10-point lead in the final four minutes. But I, I don't get a good sense on this one. Uh, that, that I don't get a good vibe that it's going very well. And I think I would be on high alert for this one in the final weeks of the season here. It's going to be interesting to see whether eight Houston has the money and the stomach to do it. Well, you start with this, like they have two very winnable games left. I mean, they play Oklahoma state next Oklahoma state just got smashed by UCF. Um, if they win that game, I think maybe kind of quiets the thing down. If they lose it, ooh, cause then you're, then you're no longer bowl eligible. You're four and seven. Uh, and they, you know, have UCF who's like, I feel like they're wildly unpredictable at this point. They're dangerous because yep. they got a lot of speed, but we've seen some crazy games from them, including the Baylor game and everything. But what what also, and Sam, you know this better than anybody, you have a very combustible leadership group there. I mean, they pulled the plug on Tony Levine after a really short amount of time. I don't know how I don't know how long Major Applewhite got there. Two right? years. Two years. And Felt like less, but yeah. With winning records both times. Yeah. I mean, look, Tony Levine (laughs) covered really well prepared for Tom Herman to jump in there, right? And they recruited pretty well. Yeah. So I don't like, I wouldn't put anything past Houston at this point. You know, you have that kind of leadership, not just the big booster, but also, you know, the president of the school and everything else. It's just like, I have no idea what they would do. I wouldn't. You know, and all the stuff you said about the optics and those kinds of things, I don't think they play well for Dana because when it starts to go bad, those are the things that people pick at where a lot of times brutally honest. And sometimes that's great for us in the media, but it's not good when things are going, when things are not winning. And that's why I would not be surprised if they made a change there. I don't know anything that they're, that they're ready to make one. I mean, Losing to Cincinnati with the way since the shape Cincinnati's been in this year, that was like, oof, that's a tough one. That's mm-hmm. in some ways it may feel as I don't know if it feels worse than Rice, but the, it's a bad one-two punch. Yeah. Let, let, before we let you go, the, the, there's uh, obviously a couple weeks left. We, we mentioned Brady Hoke, San Diego State, Andy Avalos at, at Boise State's out. Of course, there's the other couple openings, Michigan State and Northwestern, that have been out there for a while. Uh, just what are you most watching the most here as we wind down the season and, and get full fledged into the carousel? You know, those three that are in within, I don't know what they're within four hours, Arkansas, Houston, Baylor are some of the bigger ticket items that are left there. Syracuse with Dino Babers. Um, 
you know, I'd heard going into the year, there was some heat mounting on him. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they ended up making a move. Um, we, we yeah. shouldn't even poke the hornet's nest of Michigan, should we, Bruce? We should just save that for another day. <laughs> no, yeah. I think what, what will happen, though, is you will get guys who are going to bounce around. Like, I've had talked to coaches in the last 24 hours about, like, they're looking at Duke because they think Mike Elko might be moving. So then you start getting pieces where every year, not every year, but, like, the la- like two or the last three years or three of the last four years, I know I've talked to like quote industry sources. We know what that means who are like, yeah, I don't expect it to be a big year. And then all of a sudden it turns out to be a normal size. <laughs> right. right. And that's what it seems like, like I was kind of stunned a, two weeks ago when I started hearing they were going to pull the plug on Zach Arnett, but it's, it got there. Not surprised about the Brady Hoke thing. Um, a little surprised about Andy Avalos. Yeah. Um, winning record at Boise. Winning record at Boise, but I know there's been some internal friction I'd heard. Um, you know, not at all surprised about Jimbo. But there will be a, a couple other things that will pop up. They'll be like, ooh, you know, I don't know if it's going to be like the, the Paul Chris kind of kind of wrinkle, but there will probably be one or two of those come up. It's going to be interesting. Buckle up. It's it's that time. We're, we're, we're blowing and going now. Bruce Feldman, you can read him at The Athletic. You can watch him on Fox, Big Noon Kickoff on Saturdays. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Well, great conversation with Bruce on Jimbo Fisher, the coach carousel, and all that is coming up. It's going to be a crazy time. And now that the Texas A&M job is open, I had an idea. As we talk about candidates to replace Jimbo Fisher, we decided to do something we like to do in this grab bag segment every week or every so often, a a fantasy draft. We like to draft things. We like to draft teams. We like to draft players. We like to draft whatever you name it. So we're going to draft prospective Texas A&M coaches who we think would be a great pick. So Max, I'm going to put you and me, we're going to be in the chair of Texas A&M leadership, whether you want to be Ross Bjork or John Sharp or whoever is going to make this decision. Uh, He said, I think Ross Bjork said on Sunday, he's going to consult with some uh, and of course, his administration, some former players and some industry experts. We are, we are industry experts, mm-hmm. are we not? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, I can, can we get some consulting uh, consulting fee for this? Like, you you asked me which role I want to play. I would like to be Tony Busby driving in on my tank <laughs> to consult on this search. <laughs> oh, that tank! I that is that remains one of my favorite stories <laughs> that is tangentially related to college football. The fact that Tony Busby owned a tank. Uh, yeah, and drove it right over Kevin Sumlin in 2017. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sam, so, you you had a long Sunday. This is going to engulf your life for the next two weeks. So I'm going to give you the first pick. You give okay. me the first pick. Okay, I'm going to give you the first pick out of respect for uh for your struggle. All right. So first pick, I think easy easy one. I think you know where this is going. My first pick would be Jeff Trailer at UTSA. Okay. Yeah. Uh, birds up the. To me, it makes too much sense. And on Sunday, when Ross Bjork addressed the media about the hiring, he made a comment that stuck out to me. He said, can we find the next R.C. Slocum who can be here for a long time, build it, and win those championships? And when I think about R.C. Slocum, who is the winningest coach in Texas A&M history, he was not a flash hire. He was not a splash hire. He was defense coordinator 
on staff uh, when Jackie Sherrill got let go. So this was not, hey, we're going to go spend all the money and hire this big flashy name. And RC turned out to be a great hire and led him to multiple conference championships, uh, led him to a really golden era in the 90s, Texas A&M football. That's not to say that we're trying to recapture that, but they are trying to recapture consistent winning. And I think getting back to somebody who has deep connections in the state of Texas, and you, Max, you spend plenty of time in the state, you know how important a role Texas high school coaches have when it comes to recruiting, how much power they have, and what that can do to help your program. Jeff Trailer has leveraged it very well in his favor at UTSA, has won two conference championships, gunning for a third now in mm-hmm. a new conference as they're still undefeated in the American right now. And I think he would fit like a glove. He's an East Texas guy, you know, born and raised in Gilmer, won state championships there, is and has been in the big boy league. He's been at Arkansas in the SEC. He so he he's been an assistant on staff there, so he knows what that looks like. He spent time at Texas, so he knows what it looks like at a big time Texas school. He was an assistant there under Charlie Strong for a little bit. Uh and of course now he's at UCSA. So I think he just checks a lot of boxes in in you said it, um, Max, on uh, when we talked to Bruce that if he gets in, you know, gets in a room and he gets an interview, that he probably is going to win some people over. So I think Jeff Trailer would be my first pick uh, in the A and M coaches draft. I think I think that that would be. Believe me, you and I have a lot of sources in that state that would probably tell you they'd be a little scared of A&M if Jeff Trailer took that thing over. You know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. that they think he would be a unifier who would really um, get that thing working at, at full capacity there. And I, and I kind of think he's been so successful at, at UTSA. I don't think that should be held against him to the point that like, Oh, you've got to go to Baylor or Arkansas or one of these jobs and go prove it there before you can be the head coach. A&M. I, I, right. I don't really think that, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm very curious to see like how big do you swing on this job? Um, but Jeff Trailer would be, I think, a fantastic outcome. I don't think that would be settling if you're AM. Um, Sam, second pick. I'm te- I'm it's a little tempting to take Lane here. Um, but uh <laughs> I'm gonna I will go Mike Elko. I'll do the safe okay. pick and go Mike Elko. Um can can Mike Elko win at the highest level at Texas AM? You know, it is an interesting question. I mean, it's certainly he's so it's interesting when you hit when you hit the jackpot like he did at a at a tough place like Duke as quickly as he did. Yes, it certainly speaks to like the caliber of of coaching and organization you brought to the table there um, at a, at a program that uh, was really struggling, um, but but certainly obviously had some players. Um, but when you do it that quickly, I, I I understand people might be a little little hesitant on. Okay, well. Um, you know, is that going to be sustainable? Who are you bringing with you? Are you bringing the staff from Duke? Or are you going to go out and make some big splash, you know, blank check hires? Um, I, I'd be curious to see kind of what the setup would be if it is Mike Elko. Um, but in terms of keeping keeping the best players and the best coaches in that building, I think he, he'd have a chance to do that. And I think that yeah. there's, there's some importance to that. I think if you're Ross Bjork, and, and that's partly why you pulled the trigger when you did, because you were trying to hold the good the good aspects of what's going on at AM together here. So I could see yeah. that being the, the pitch uh, for sure on Mike Elko and, you know, could see him. It's, it's always tricky when you know, know a little bit like too much about a job, right? Like that can make you a little hesitant, even if you're the right guy for it. But 
Um, I, I could see Mike Elko being successful there. I, I, I for sure could. I do. I do too. Uh, I think the fact that he spent four years there is obviously an asset in this equation. Yep. Like you said, he recruited a lot of the defensive players who were there on that roster or it has and evaluated some of them. I'm sure before he took the Duke job, uh, he's been at Notre Dame before. So he's been, you know, he's been at another big time place, turned that around really quickly as a defensive coordinator. And he's been at a lot of other places. Obviously, you know, you mentioned the Ivy league background, but he's been at small schools. He's been at big schools. Uh, he's been in the SEC. He's been in the ACC. He's kind of seen it all. And I think that that variety of experience really has served him well in his Duke job so far. And they're definitely punching above their weight class. I think we know they, they've done a good job evaluating and recruiting at Duke. I think you give them the resources that they have at AM, I think you could really be successful there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a question of what does that step up look like for him? But I, I don't really have much doubt. I think he, I think seeing what we've seen so far in the small sample size of Duke is really encouraging. And you're right to keep this team together and to, from, from a roster standpoint, I think he gives you a shot and, and, I think he would not be a bad choice at all. So, good pick. Uh, my second pick, I can't believe I'm going to get to take him, but I'm going to get to take him. Uh, Dan Lanning at Oregon. Th- these are the three guys. If I am if I am Texas A&M, to me, in my opinion, these are the three guys you start your search with, is, is okay. Trailer, Elko, and Lanning. Yeah. Th- th- because yeah. Lanning, in my opinion... He's got the SEC knowledge and background. He'd been at Georgia, obviously. He'd been at uh, Alabama. And you look at what he's done at Oregon, and he's that they are they are right in the thick of the college football playoff race. And now that makes it challenging because and, and we talked about this with Bruce, is the longer you are in this playoff race, the the more challenging it makes it because Texas AM obviously made this move early when it did to get ahead of the portal and to get ahead of signing day. The longer Oregon is in this playoff race, the harder it is to leave and, and you're, you're not going to be able to leave. Right. That's so, why I didn't do landing. Cause I, it's more of like an attainability thing for me. Right. Yeah. So, so I, but I think he's, you know, to use lack of a better term and Chris Vanini used this term when, when we talked about him on Sunday, he's got juice, man. Like, yeah, he's he, badass. You can see it, and you know that I, I hate to use this moment because it was captured on cameras for everybody. But the, this pregame speech he gave before the Colorado game, like that was, dude, like how could you not get fired up with that? Mm-hmm. But then when you look at how he's recruited, they've recruited really well at Oregon. They've got a really good recruiting operation there. Uh, obviously, he's got a lot of resources, and they've done a really good job of it. But he also knows the lay of the land because he spent four years at Georgia. So he knows what it is to go swing with the big boys in the SEC and go try to win those recruiting battles. And in this job, that matters a ton. So I'm willing to take the risk at two, uh, like you said, with attainability. But uh, to me, Lanning, Trailer, Elko to me are the three guys you start this race with. And 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 Lanning at 37, where he is, and and he seems to be like a star in the making. I think he would be a home run hire for Texas A and M. I agree. And there's an element of this that factors into my next pick that I think we got to touch on too. And that is that, like like Dan Lanning is 100. percent He is getting that thing rolling in Oregon. My my curiosity as we go into this off season is even if you know why it happened, why it had to happen, all that stuff, 
you're Dan Lanning. Do you want to coach in the Big Ten? Mm-hmm. That that yep. I'm I'm curious to see for him, for Kalen DeBoer, for these guys that are the hottest of the hot. You you know, look, yeah, a lot of money in the Big Ten, not right away for those schools, but um there's there's an element of this you're kind of wondering like wait okay i know i know we have to do this i know the pack is dying we have to do this but is that do i really see myself coaching in that league and playing those kinds of schedules and trying to build a program to win in that kind of league i think it's it's going to be an interesting change for those guys at a time when when they couldn't be hotter however sam i'm going to go extreme wild card here uh-oh i'm going to go lincoln riley oh whoa what? if you I'm not saying it's going to happen. Yeah. Not saying it should happen. <laughs> but if you're texting AM and you and money's not a thing, money's not an object, right? Charge it to the game. <laughs> and look, I also USC is a private school, so this may actually be financially completely impossible to hire Lincoln <laughs> Riley. It wouldn't surprise me at all. But Lincoln Riley is in that same spot. I have to coach in the Big Ten next year. Do I really want to do that? I have a new I have a new boss, new AD in Jen Cohen. I have to go hire a defensive coordinator. Caleb Williams is going pro. This thing is not set up to go win a national championship next year, right? That's not how they've been recruiting the portal and stuff for next year. They've been recruiting it for this year. You know, and a lot of money back in the state of Texas. If you're us, Bjork, should, should, I mean, should you call Lincoln's agent? Should you feel around? <laughs> I'll or be would honest. You, or would you say they don't play defense? That's not going to work in the SEC. Like, would you Would you on the A&M side say, I just don't know if that's going to work for us? Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I am not feeling that. I am not feeling Lincoln Riley for this job particularly for, for a couple of reasons. One, you're right. The defense thing has been an issue. And, and I do wonder, and I know Ari has mentioned this uh, in the times he's been talked about Lincoln Riley and USC on the pod. I wonder how much of it is a defense thing and how much of it is a how you run your program thing. And when you're playing Alabama and LSU and all those teams in the SEC on a weekly basis, buddy, you got to have it. And and right now, you can say logically, A&M right now does have the defense. They have a plethora of top 100 defensive linemen. They are second in the conference in, I think, yards per player. And, and they're in the top. I think they're only giving up 20 points a game. So you say, hey, well, let's pair Lincoln Riley's offense with that defense. And then you have a champion. I don't think it's that simple. I just don't. And because and, and I think because how he runs his program is going to be totally different. Now, I will say this. A lot of these names and in, in even Lincoln, I think, would be an upgrade over what you have because I think how the program would run on a day-to-day basis would be more consistent, more efficient, more organized because that seems to be a lot of the struggle with the Jimbo Fisher era is it was mm-hmm. lacking in those areas. And you heard that. Russ I mean, Bjork if you could make a and more like Oklahoma, that would be that would be pretty dangerous. Would yes. you say? Yeah, a hundred percent. Because they, they, they won there was lots of head to heads there when when Lincoln was at Oklahoma. I mean, if you're getting that kind of player to come to College Station, you're going to be highly competitive. Yeah, but I just it didn't. I don't think it'd be a, a great fit. And coming off of this kind of season, USC is having. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be a really hard sell for A and M. So interesting pick. For but if sure. they're like, if if they, <laughs> Ross Bjork calls and they're like. 
Yeah, you know it's tough. The buyout is you know eighty million. I, I'm not saying that's a. I'm not. I'm not saying that's a deal breaker. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> it's probably right. some insane number though. So probably yeah. not happening. But uh, it's a draft. It's it's fantasy. Let's fantasize. You know? That's right. Like you said, on that note, it is a fantasy draft. So by the way, my last pick is going to be just as unhinged. So get ready for that. Okay, go ahead. I'm going full fantasy. I'm going full shoot for the moon. Okay, if you're Texas A&M here. And it's yeah. somebody that Bruce mentioned that I was thinking as soon as when he said it, I was like, I was thinking of this yesterday myself. Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions. Like he is an Aggie, which, you know, everybody loves to bring, you know, an alum back. But dude, he's a good coach. Like he's got the Lions playing really, really well. And he's done a fantastic job there. You got to love a guy who orders two venti coffees with two shots of espresso in each one. Like to start that that your day with that much caffeine, like you got to be mm. a different kind of dude for that. Talk but, about having juice. I mean, that's literally putting a lot of juice <laughs> in your body. Yeah, but but uh, but I no, I think I I don't think that's that's it's achievable in this search. I I don't think getting that that's a dream candidate that if you could pull it off, it would be fantastic. I just don't think it's achievable because the NFL season runs through early January, and you're Texas A&M, you're making this move in mid November. You can't wait that long. So it's not. It's, I don't think it's achievable in, by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, if if you were just listing out guys, you could you would want to take if you would think that you could get them. Certainly, A and M is one of the probably very few places you would think would be able to tug at the heartstrings there and say, "Hey, you know, yeah. come on home and and take over this program." And there's also the consideration of do you want to go from quality of life in the NFL where you don't have to recruit mm-hmm. to doing all that in college football, which is a whole another animal. But Hey, but if you it was know, me, you know, it's funny I would about at least that, place the call. <laughs> you got to place the call. You know what the flip side of that is that that's interesting to me, though? I don't, again, I don't think Dan Campbell is, will be the next head coach of Texas A&M. would be amazing to see. Don't think it's going to happen. If you're Dan Campbell, you're in a league where there's a salary cap and there's 32 teams all competing. There's parity. I think at Texas A&M, you would have to say they're probably in the top 10 in terms of uh, their salary cap over there. <laughs> wouldn't probably. would you say probably top 10 top, probably, i mean probably at worst so, top yeah. 15 in terms yeah. of the financial resources Available to acquire resources. talent yep. i mean there's advantages to a&m that you just even though they're building something really nice in detroit there, there's some advantages that in uh in an unregulated market uh, that uh that are appealing about a&m and in roster building and I, and I feel like if you brought him in like i mean who wouldn't want to play for him oh Hundred percent, they would. Hundred percent. I mean, would be pretty on, cool man. to see. Yeah, he would dominate. He would dominate recruiting, in in with with those resources and his personality. Hundred percent. How do you say no? Okay, yeah. here here is my unserious <laughs> pie in the sky. Don't do this, but I'm just gonna say it for fun. Okay. Oh gosh, I'm afraid. You know, Sam. There are other coaches out there. Who have won national championships? Mm-hmm. Oh no, you're not going to say it. There are other coaches who have won at the <laughs> highest level. You say, oh, you know, it's hard to hard to pull those guys, right? Uh, sometimes they're not they're they're not in the uh, their peak of their career, right? Um, but you know, sometimes when you're a coach and you're a legend, sometimes you got to shake it up. Sometimes you need to reset the clock a little bit. People maybe aren't as grateful as they used to be. Maybe maybe you called Dabo Swinney. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. You know where I thought you were going with that? I thought you Uh-oh. were going with Mac Brown. 
<laughs> Mac, I don't think Mac Brown would take that job. That would just be my, be my quick answer on that. What if you called Dabo Swinney, Sam? Yeah, no. To me, you're doing, you're making the same hire you made with Jimbo Fisher. No, I mean that literally. Yeah, I, that's literally what I'm proposing here. Is yeah, making the yeah. exact same hire. No, but organizationally, probably more, you know, a better job of like actually making this a high, like making this a high functioning organization that like at least maximizes the talent they have. Yes, but you're now getting a guy who uses the portal less than the guy you just had who already didn't use the portal that much. <laughs> so that's, that is problematic. Yeah. I Go, think going to a state where you might just be like, we don't need the portal. We're in Texas. What, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to, I mean, you'd have to lean into the portal. You'd have to get him to commit to some portaling. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate what Davos when accomplished because he like you're about to Go ahead. built that. <laughs> this is like when you say no offense and then you offend them. There you go. Uh, yeah. th- th- I mean, he built that program. You know, and nobody when he got hired thought they would achieve the heights they did. But to me, this offseason is going to be really interesting to see if he's willing to finally if this this the the success and the struggle, the lack of success and the struggles they've had, if it's gonna force him to actually change some things and change how he does things a little bit. Uh, I don't think he's going to and Max, you sat with me when we were at the AFCA convention and listened to him talk. He didn't sound like a guy who's ready to change how he does things. So that that's the guy that they, the guy that they, the Texas A&M just fired as a guy who doesn't really like to change things very much. So yeah, I yeah. hear you. I hear I you. But that. would he be a fit? Yeah. Oh, he would like from a, from a cultural and personality fit. Yeah. 100%. He would be a fit. Yes, absolutely. No, to me, there's 100%. no question he would fit at Texas A&M. Like once he did the press conference and, and ingratiated himself in the community. Oh, everybody would love him. There's no, there's no doubt. People like, I think people like spending time and talking to Dabo. He, mm-hmm. when you talk to him, he makes you, for the most part, I think he gives you that folksy feeling. So, and that plays well here in, in Texas and definitely plays well in College Station. But, uh, but yeah. I think that would as, be expensive though. I think that'd be an expensive hire, you know? D- yes. Yes. Um, do you think Leipold, Leipold or Kleiman, do you think either of those guys would make sense in a gig like this? It's, it's, it's tough. I, I, I kind of wrestle with that. I understand, you know, I, I definitely don't, don't fault Bruce or anybody for propping up Lance Leipold for this job. A&M is just so different than the jobs he's had. And obviously he said last week, you know, he sees himself finishing his career at Kansas, but because of the success they've had at Kansas, he's going to keep getting calls. Um, that's just inevitable. I, I'm sure Kleiman has gotten more calls than anybody realizes. Um, but I, I know he loves a situation at K state and uh, it takes something pretty special for him to walk away. Some of these guys, Sam, they really value. It's tough. It's tough doing a Midwestern developmental program and you're not, you're not competing for the blue chip guys that are going to A&M, but some of them value that you also don't have a lot of the BS that comes with these jobs too. And, and dealing with dealing with the agents of players and dealing with NIL and dealing with, you know, there's, I know that it's, it, there's a lot of things about, that are, that are very appealing to those winners about competing for a national championship. But in a lot of ways, these jobs are also drastically different than their current mm-hmm. jobs too. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that they cannot be successful at AM. They certainly could. I just wonder how much they are really like attracted to these, to a job like AM, which comes with a huge spotlight, a lot of money, a huge opportunity. There's no question but, you know, Lance Leipold's a guy that, um, you know, is, is really good at fixing broken places. Chris Kleiman, 
tremendous culture coach. I mean, they they AM could do way worse than those guys, but um that would be pretty that would be a pretty bold move by either to uh you know to to take on something like this that it's just it's just a real it's just a real different job. And it's I know that mm-hmm. might not sound I, I'm not just talking about recruiting. I'm not just talking about top 10 classes. I'm talking about everything that comes with these jobs. And you, you know, Sam, it's just a different, it's a different kind of pressure, scrutiny, people to please all that stuff. Large fan base. There's a hundred, like 103,000 that were in that stadium uh, on Saturday night to watch Texas A&M beat Mississippi state. So it's, it's a passionate group uh, and a demanding one to say the least, but interesting, interesting picks. Interesting discussion. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to see how this goes along. So thank you all for listening. Be sure you're subscribed to the Until Saturday feed so that you're notified whenever we publish the podcast. Don't forget, Tuesday night, Power Hour, live on YouTube right after the College Football Playoff Ranking Show. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Nicole Auerbach, Chris Vanini will discuss and react to the playoff rankings. You guys can join in that conversation. Uh, And of course, the Power Hour will be in your audio feeds after that show wraps. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, be sure to join all our live streams on YouTube. Tuesday's Playoff Reaction, Thursday's for the Pick Show, Saturday night for the Game Reaction, and Sunday's for the Sound Off. Subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. And for Max Olson, I'm Sam Kahn. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.